if you're an emotional eater, which I would say 80% of patients will say they are, Mm. then surgery doesn't fix that. You need to engage in learning healthy coping skills so that you have a different alternative. Mm. And where do they learn about that in the bariatric process, you know? Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis. I'm your host, and I'm the clinical nutritionist for Being Healthy. So today. I've got the company of Connie Stapleton. Connie's a PhD. She's a licensed psychologist in the states of Georgia, South Carolina, and Virginia. So I'm strengthening my links to the US again. Connie's passionate about her work in relation to the psychological aspects associated with weight loss and more specifically weight loss through bariatric surgery. Pre-surgical evaluations of bariatric patients and post-operative education are the areas where Connie spends the majority of her professional time. Connie's developed a program named Barry Aftercare. She's created for the use of bariatric patients and by individual patients to help them navigate the numerous changes patients face in their lives during the weeks, months and years following bariatric surgery. All of the links to Connie's website and her free videos are all in the show notes hosted on the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast.com. I really encourage you as a prospective bariatric patient or someone who's further along in the journey and is needing a little bit of a tweak here and there to really get involved with Connie's content. A lot of it's free and she does offer a program, but I think you know you'll notice in the episode just the things that she touches on as far as her skill set and her compassion and passion for helping bariatric patients is actually tangible. I just really enjoyed the recording of this episode and once again, another opportunity to showcase the effects on the psychology of patients after bariatric surgery and how important it is to get the right care when things do crop up that we're not quite prepared for. So grab a cuppa and stick around because there's a lot to be gained from listening to the rest of the episode. Thanks for your time. So welcome to the show, Connie Stapleton. It's lovely to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. It's fun to be with you and I'm so excited that we met and here I am. Thank you. I know. and We're making the world a very small place lately. I think it's great that we've got that crossover between Australia and the USA and it's becoming a stronger connection, which I welcome because a lot of what we do in Australia, we model on the US because we feel that you're usually a few steps ahead of us. So it's always nice to get input from over that way. Today, I wanted to thank you because I think the psychological aspect of weight loss surgery is a massive component of the journey. And other listeners to the podcast have probably noticed that it's an area where I really like to focus on and bring to the table different professionals who will hopefully deliver something that resonates. I think that's the most important part about anything we're doing for personal development is looking at all the different ways of accessing our mindset and the things that might need to change along the way. And here's another example coming from you. So thank you. You're welcome. And I love your attitude. What an open attitude about that, because it's not something a lot of 
practices embraced. So I appreciate that you're really educating your patients and your listeners about the importance of that. And you've been working in this area for quite some time, bariatric overall. Can you tell me a little bit about from there to here? How did that all happen for you? Yeah, I started as a psychologist 30 some years ago, and I worked primarily in the field of addiction and recovery. And when I became aware of the process that patients go through to have weight loss surgery, I just felt a tug toward that area because I know that when people go through a treatment program for alcohol or drugs or any other addictions, that time after treatment, and in the case of bariatric surgery, after the surgery, Patients' lives are turned upside down in ways they could not possibly expect or anticipate. And so I knew there was an opening, a blank space in the bariatric world for help in all areas of life, as opposed to just the physical that a lot of programs focus on. So I started 18 years ago working in the field of bariatrics, and about 10 years ago, it's become 98% of what I do. Wow. So I guess that also means you've seen it all too, doesn't it? Absolutely. I've done, I don't know how many thousands of pre-surgical evaluations. And that's kind of interesting to me is to see your take on the common themes and also the things that you would never expect. And it is a journey, but it's also individual for each person. And similar things come up, but sometimes people are just not prepared for when for sure, and what to do when that does happen as well. And I think the research shows that dealing with that or preempting that there might be things to manage from a psychological perspective is quite important in that lead up to surgery. So in the pre-surgical interviews and that sort of thing, how do you think that impacts the results over the long term for patients? Probably a a majority of people are unaware of the impediments to their long-term progress prior to surgery. And it's not a reason for people not to have surgery Mm. unless it's something very glaring. But what I will tell people in the pre-surgical evaluation is, listen, you've got this history of trauma, or you've got this history of whatever, and you've got these issues. And of course, I can't see into the future. But given what I know, you have a likelihood of this interfering with your long term process. Mm -hmm. You know, very many people tell me that they regain weight after surgery because life happens and they're referring to stress. And so many people need healthier coping skills because food is their coping skill. Prior to surgery, maybe they don't have so much awareness about that. But two to three years after, people are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea what I was in for. And so the majority of my work is with post-ops who Mm. find themselves feeling lost. Lost is the word, I believe. And we hear a lot about that. So like you say, with anything and great change, so much needs to be done. You need to now know about protein. You need to know how to pace your meals out, how to not drink and eat with meals, and then deal with all emotional side of things at the same time. So it's I always think of how do we break that down into manageable bite-sized pieces rather than look at, Mm. my goodness, I've just turned my life totally upside down and now what? Yeah. I think from what I've seen is that nutritional piece and that timing of when you eat, that's got to be the focus Mm. initially. And for the first year or two, people are just getting used to the new routine and the new food. And then 
once weight loss kind of settles down and they're sort of leveling out, it's like, oh my gosh, there's all this other stuff. My relationships are <laughs> whacked up and my emotions. And it's like, I feel better about myself or I feel worse about myself or I feel as bad as I did before the surgery. And I would thought the surgery was going to fix all of that. So I think unless somebody has a real emotional crisis after the surgery, kind of put off for a little while while they're adjusting to all the mm. new biological changes. There's a huge hormonal change and I hear a lot of women particularly being obese is often a very high estrogen situation and when we're losing weight at that rapid rate, there's also a rise in estrogen that's being released from the fat stores. So there can be those very emotional It's almost like a grieving process, but I think we also need to be aware that it's a chemical process and it generally will pass, but it's about being kind of patient with yourself and taking small steps is the key. Hearing somebody say what you just said, you know, there are a lot of hormones being released and that can really affect your emotions and it will probably pass. How comforting Mm. to people who don't know that. It's like, what's happened to me? You're like, be patient. I think that's also a key is patience. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tricks? Like there's a lot that people want. When you're at the state where you think, okay, surgery is the best option for me as far as my health goes. And there's excitement because it's like the first time that this actual process of weight loss is functioning and working well but it's hard to be patient and how do we implement that part at the beginning of the journey i think the only way to do that is to really from day one sort of forearm people with this you know a lot's going to be happening you're going to want results you're going to want to wake up off that table from the operating room and have lost you know, 50 kilos. It's not Mm going to work that way, right? So telling them from the beginning, mind your expectations about this process. Because honestly, what I believe is that if people could, they would walk into their first consultation meeting. And if they could walk out the back door of the office into the operating room, they would. Because it's been such a burden. This weight has been such an emotional burden, a physical burden. And they just want the weight off at that Mm -hmm. point. And I get that. Yeah, it's like the first time that we can almost promise that, isn't it? Which is is the beauty of the surgery. But it's also then I see a lot of people rushing back to work and wanting to exercise. And yes, we need to change things. And there's no doubt about that. But it's tempering those changes, I think, in that first recovery. And also I see is we come home from hospital with a few tiny little incisions. So it doesn't look like much has gone on. And I don't know how you handle the explanation of that when you do see people rushing back into work, exercise, you know, and they're still on liquids and pureed foods. Right. Do you have a method of explaining exactly what is going on on the inside as well? That is not something that I really address with people because I rarely see or talk to people in the immediate post-op phase. So that piece. I mean, I talked to them ahead of time about expectations and realizing their body has undergone a major event and that the body will want to curl up in a fetal position, so to speak, and let itself heal. So I kind of try to prepare them that way. 
But unless somebody's having a pretty severe emotional reaction immediately after surgery, I don't typically see them for a little while mm, good point. because they are in that physical healing. And so they're very involved in the medical piece of that. Which is great because they've got the care of their team on hand that early Absolutely. stage as well. You were talking before we started recording about how you're aware of a critical element that's missing from the common preparation and follow-up most practices incorporate into the patient process. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, and it goes back to the lack of awareness on the part of the patient. And it makes perfect sense. I totally understand it. But it's the fact that they're going to experience changes in their relationships. They're going to experience intimacy issues, possibly with their partners. Their friends may react differently than they expect. Their coworkers, their siblings, all the relationships are going to change. But the one that is going to be impacted most is the relationship that they have with themselves. So the majority of my work is looking at what is your relationship like with yourself? Because that is going to have a tremendous impact on whether or not you're going to maintain this weight loss. Because most of our patients have lost weight before and gained it back, lost weight before and gained it back. And the, the struggle is with maintaining the new habits required for weight maintenance. They're going to lose the weight. And that is joyful. Going into that surgery, the majority of people, that's all they're interested in, right? Mm. It's like, give me some relief from this absolute horrible thing that I've been dealing with for so long. Yeah. And so I like to help prepare them. Listen, I get that and I'm with you all the way. And that's why I love working in this field. But I want you to understand how you feel about yourself is going to impact how well you do long term. Yeah, 100%. And we're not always used to thinking about ourselves. And I find there's a common thread perhaps through our community is a lot of them are women. A lot of our audience are women who are in their mid sort of 40s, 50s, who've given up a lot of their identity in a lot of ways and done everything for their family or for their children or for their extended family. And they've never really got to the point where they're okay with putting themselves first. And that's a new thing to think about for some people and quite hard and also would be the domino effect into relationships if you do start putting yourself first. Right. That can be a healthy thing or an unhealthy thing, right? So if a person starts putting themselves first in a healthy way, meaning they start saying, I'm going to set some boundaries in this area right? I can't do everything for everybody, but I'm not going to leave the family in the dust either, right? And that can be a really good thing, setting boundaries, learning to communicate. This is what I need. This is what would be helpful. That's the best possible outcome. But some people haven't had the examples from other women in their Mm -hmm. lives, or they haven't had you know, the training in healthy communication skills, or they haven't learned to set boundaries. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's all about me. Mm -hmm. It's all about me. And it's done in an unhealthy way where their children, who used to be, you know, their little gophers, you know, go for this, go for that, get me this, get me that. And that's how the child felt needed by the parent. All of a sudden, it's like, you don't need me anymore. You don't love me anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're feeling left behind. So an unhealthy is like, hey, y'all take care of yourself. I'm going to go out and make up for lost time. I'm going to go out and act like I'm a teenager who (laughs) didn't get to experience that. 
there's some rebelliousness in that, I think, isn't it? It's sure. like it's my turn now. And you're right, it can be healthy or unhealthy. And I do feel that boundary setting is something that can be quite foreign. I don't know if oh. anybody of the sort of 40s and 50s set grew up with having our parents help us to use healthy <laughs> communication. Exactly. I'm just using me as an example here. And how to set a healthy boundary and how to ask or how to now bring your new you in a clear and calm way to have your new ways perceived in the way that you'd like them to and to have people respond exactly. in a likewise cohesive manner. And that's where the family get all crazy is, hang on a minute, yeah. you've always been this and now you're coming back yes. with this yes. and they don't know how to respond. And therein lies the critical missing element, right? <laughs> Education about what is going on with me. And you need to set boundaries because it's a healthy thing to do, but you got to do it in a healthy way. Or you're going to really, I, you know, yeah. push some people out of your life. Is there a script so, you have for that somewhere? <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I think we could put that one in the show notes and it would get a lot of hits because it is, it's a tricky thing to do and it's yes. not something we generally need to do just once is, hey, this is new and I'm doing it this way now, so can you all accommodate me in this way? Exactly. You know, it needs to be a repeated message because we're undoing so much habit and so many exactly. you know different relationships mm -hmm. I suppose as well and a piece of that is being able to identify your emotions right so it's like when you bring in foods that are not going to lead me to my goals I feel upset because that doesn't seem to be a form of support here's what I would appreciate from you right but we don't know those skills we don't know how to say what we feel, what we need without like, what are you doing? You don't care about me at all. Why are you bringing this into the house? Right? Yeah. And then we distance ourselves from the people we love. And what we want to do is bring ourselves closer together. Yeah. And so when we recognize that we're, A, setting new boundaries and asking, and sometimes we've never asked anything of other people to consider right. their impacts on us. Right. So that's all new. That changes the dynamic, right? What are you doing? You're supposed to be the doormat. You're not yeah. supposed to ask anything of me. And now we've got a lot of ruffles in the yeah. water because it's like, whoa, hey, I, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> right? I'm going to support you the weight loss, but don't be telling me what you need from me. <laughs> Come back when you're done. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so what are some of the reasons you believe that having additional aftercare education would be beneficial to patients in general? Well, this is about lifestyle, right? And yet the patient is oftentimes focused on the weight loss as opposed to developing the healthy lifestyle, which is this is how you eat as a post-op, right? The increments, this is the vitamins you take and developing that as a lifestyle. You've got to exercise. And so if the focus from the patient's point of view is just on the scale and what that tells them, they're going to miss out on the bigger picture. This has to become a lifestyle because while the surgery will help them get the weight off, if they return to the unhealthy lifestyle of the fast food and the snacking and not following the process, and this is so important. Are you familiar with the book Atomic Habits? Oh, yes. That's my favorite book in the world. I know, right? I know. It because is such it, a great book. 
Yeah. It says focus on the process. Don't think about what I'm going to weigh three years from now. Focus on today. I eat every blank hours as determined by my medical team. And I eat the protein first. And I don't eat between these times. And I get this much water and I take these vitamins. Focus on what you've got to do today. And you don't have to worry about the scale. But everybody's so worried about getting to a number as opposed to the process and the lifestyle. So we as a medical team have to help them focus on that process and teach them. If you focus on the process and do what you need to do today, you will get the outcome that you desire. And it is, it's being, for want of a better term, being in the moment, which sounds a bit fluffy, but it's also about- It's true. Keep your eye on the prize. Um, Absolutely. Whereas there's this huge fear that this won't work for me or I've tried everything. And I can see why, because they've tried everything and you can see them going into surgery going, oh my God, what if this doesn't work? And it's like a huge step to take and then think it might not work. And it's very hard to kind of quell that fear and maybe turn it into a motivator. Right. Okay, I'm worried about this not working for me positively what can I do and what habits do I need to form another aftercare thing that we need to help people is realize that your attitude and your outlook are really going to have a big impact on whether or not you follow through because this is why I focus on the relationship with self Mm. if my relationship with self is based in the area of my weight is based on fear or is based on doubt I'm likely to end up following through with I can't do this. So we have to be aware of how do I feel about myself? And James Clear in Atomic Habits Mm -hmm. talks all the time about how you feel on the inside is going to be reflected by your behaviors. So if you feel like I'm not worth having a healthy lifestyle, or I fear I can't develop this healthy lifestyle, your behavior is going to fall in line with those thoughts. So we have to start developing this. You know what? If I focus on the process and I do it today, I just realized I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can do it today. Let's do tomorrow. I did two days, right? So it's learning that self-efficacy, believing that you can do it, mm-hmm. right? And addressing that, like you said, that self-doubt, which why would they not have self-doubt? Helping them overcome that and get rid of that shame that's constantly talking to them yeah and it's a lot about inner dialogue isn't it I talk a bit about that in other episodes where a lot of the time I'll pick those conversations that you have with yourself around doubt and fear and defeat and that sort of thing and then often I'll kind of go whose voice is that though because more often than not that's somebody else's story they've put inside your brain at a very early age And so question everything is something I would perhaps explore. For sure. It's like, where did this come from? Whose voice is that? Do I need to buy into that today? And if I buy into that, where's it likely to lead me? What's a different option? And coming up, like you said, with something more positive, more inspirational, more encouraging for yourself. Yeah, and question, I suppose. Like we run a record in our head, don't we? They say that most Absolutely. people have, I think they said 90% of everybody's thoughts every day are pretty much the same and they're based on stuff that they were told way, way, way back. So we're kind of letting toddlers run the show is the way I like to put it. Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> I, the way I say that is your inner child driving the bus. Hundred percent. Right. Yep. Yeah. I'm so all about that. Mm. And I guess it's working out how to then put the adult in charge. And again, it's not anything. And this is why I really encourage people to get support is because we don't know. We weren't brought up with this new way of instilling these automated processes. We weren't brought up with that. Things have changed. And as much as we might have them on offer for our children now, because we know better, we mm-hmm. our automatic pilot is basically being left behind in a lot of ways. So it's new input. It's like right. upgrading your computer, isn't it? And if you say this to a patient prior to surgery, like, you know, you're going to have to look at these thought processes and it's automatic. They're going, I just want to lose weight. (laughs) Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important that we at least plant seeds. Mm. So when this, they're like, why can't I keep this weight? Why am I going back to my life? They have had some sort of introduction to, you've got to change how you think. You've got to change how you feel about yourself because it's all going to line up and match up and you've got to learn some healthier coping skills. So we've got to introduce these. And then the programs, the bariatric program has to have some kind of outreach for people instead of just like, leave them and leave them as they say here. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Leave them and leave them. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot more to it than that. There is. That's why yeah. I think the aftercare stuff is so critical. It's so critical. People don't know what they're in for. It's like when you get married or you have a <laughs> child. You know, it's like, yeah, I've seen people have baby. I've Do seen people be married and then you get there and you're like, oh my God, who yeah. knew? <laughs> Not even over. That's exactly right. It can't be too hard. How much time could this baby take up? And then you find yourself... <laughs> I remember that. I was like, that was seven hours of breastfeeding I did today, like sitting down. Like I never saw that. And no one says you will be sitting down for seven hours a day. They don't tell me that. So it's all of those things. Ten minutes to yourself out of 24 hours. (laughs) Enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy your pain. But yes, always a good outcome, similar to, you know, embarking on any kind of grave journey. (laughs) I think you're right. And I'm looking at what struck me before was when you said aftercare. And I think when we use those words, how long do we think aftercare? Like if someone says to you, you're having surgery and you'll need aftercare, are we maybe should we call it something different because it needs to go on for a longer period of time? That's a great says. It kind of says, like I see a lot of people go, oh, it's 12 months of doing this and implementing that and honeymoon, we call it as well. Like they're losing weight and it seems like it's all going along quietly, quite nicely. But aftercare often is only 12 months long. They're engaged with their team. And so I wonder, if are we planting the seed in the beginning that it's a long, long time that we need this so-called ongoing care? Life yeah. care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. I was just thinking about this speaker that I heard talking about an athlete. This was a professional athlete. He said, you know, as an athlete, 20% of what we do is physical. 80% of what we do is emotional. Mm-hmm. And yet we spend 80% of our practice and our training on the physical and only 20% on the emotional. And I think it would behoove patients to understand that there's a huge chunk of this 
that is not specifically related to the physical, but is related to how to live life as your best self. You know, you need to learn healthier. If you're an emotional eater, which I would say 80% of patients will say they are, Mm. then surgery doesn't fix that. You need to engage in learning healthy coping skills so that you have a different alternative. Mm. And where do they learn about that in the bariatric process? You know? Yeah, aftercare. (laughs) Ongoing care, life care. It's similar, I would imagine, to your addiction, the way they manage addiction. And we see transference. How much of that do you see in the bariatric circles where there's been food addiction in some cases and then we move it over to something else? I can't grasp how often that happens and how well we prepare people for that. Yes. I personally spend a good deal of time talking to people about that ahead of Mm -hmm. time because I think it is hugely important. And I think that it's almost impossible to get an accurate percentage because we don't get a lot of reports, right? Mm -hmm. But I do know that I work with a lot of people who transfer a negative behavior for a negative behavior. And when I talk to surgeons, a lot of them are like, is it really that bad? Mm. Like it's very dismissed by surgeons because they're not in that world, right? So they don't know, but it is a very big problem. Well, there's two things I do when I do an evaluation that I don't know of anybody else that does this, but I did it because ethically I felt irresponsible having a one hour interview with somebody and that's the end of that. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. So I made a series of videos and I require that people watch them. Mm-hmm. And I put in like three or four questions after each video that they have to respond to, or I'm not turning their clearance letter in because I need people to understand. And people are like, oh, I, I hated the idea of watching those videos. But they were great. Mm. So they really learn a lot and look at things a different way. And then I also send out an email to everyone I do an evaluation for about food addiction because so many people are unaware. And I tell people, if you have the disease of obesity on one hand, and if you have an addiction on the other hand, when you have weight loss surgery, the surgeon is treating your obesity and you come out and your brain is raging for a fix. And it's not going to be quiet until you find something. And if it's not going right back to food, then it's going to be hooking up with strangers or it's going to be gambling or it's going to be shopping or it's going to be something else that is going to become problematic for you. And you don't want to just switch an unhealthy behavior from a healthy behavior. So you've got to treat your obesity, that disease, and you've got to treat your addiction, that disease separately. And they're not often separated. No, they're not. And a lot of people just genuinely have no idea that this is an addiction. So if somebody tells me about a family history of alcoholism or gambling addiction or whatever, I'm like, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have an addiction. I'm like, well, maybe you do. And I think that's part of the presenting it as a maybe it is and then up to them to explore and ponder yes. because we yes. can't just say that's what it is and they need to be Absolutely. Ready. Yeah. And I say that to them, I can't tell you that, you Mm -hmm. know, but I'm going to send you some information as well as several resources so you can look into it yourself. And I guess the city, the education and the time that it takes. I see wrapped up in that, we talk about self-care and self-love and addiction. And I always see the trap there 
is how do we get someone who's addicted to like themselves enough to want to create that change? And I always find that a real cycle of we're chicken and egg in a lot of ways, but how do we move that person? How do we facilitate the change where they go, I love myself enough to really want to make that difference and change that behaviour to something positive? It's like where do you begin with that as well? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very, very tough, tough thing. And the way that I do it is to start talking about their self-talk, right? And where did that come from? And where did you learn that from? And were you aware that that is a form of neglect or emotional abuse? Mm. And a lot of people who have suffered any kind of childhood trauma or abuse, even if it's emotional, like criticism or being bullied at school, develop a sense of internal shame. and most addictions are fueled by shame because we try to find a way to escape from that feeling of self-loathing that we develop or that feeling of I'm not good enough or I don't belong. So I kind of try to weave my way into it in a compassionate, gentle, like, how could you not have felt that way? Right? You didn't start the fire here. And I think that's part of it, isn't it? Is recognizing that I always say obesity and weight management are 100 different things. Surgery is maybe two of those 100. And then we have all the other things that impactful on our health and our overall outcomes. And self-love is one of those things. It's a huge part of it though. I teach this online class and I call it Gain While You Lose. So it's not a weight loss program, but people will lose weight if they do the process, right? And what they gain is insight and awareness and all these things. And I dive deep into where does shame come from? Where does this negative self-talk originate? And we talk about the different forms of neglect and abuse that maybe occurred earlier. And then I say, and how do you do that to yourself today? How are you continuing to neglect yourself? Do you go to the doctor? Do you get your physicals? How do you emotionally abuse yourself? Do you tell yourself all these horrible things? And so I dig down into that. Then I talk about emotional eating and food addiction. And then we eventually move into what are the skills to overcome that kind of thing. And when I teach the class, I let people come back through it as many times as they want to without Mm -hmm. pain again, because it's so packed full of information. But it's a really good introduction to, I never understood that. I didn't understand where these feelings originated and how I continue to play them out in my adult life. That's a really interesting way to put it and to highlight that it's become, mm-hmm. you know, part of our psyche. And it wasn't exactly. our choosing. Nobody's fault. Exactly. It's one of the biggest things I've really picked. When people are posting in my group about I'm regaining I'm a loser. I've failed. It's like, this isn't your fault. Like, that's the first thing is not your fault. Consciously looks like you're making these choices and you feel that your choices are messing things up. But underneath that is all of these things that are nothing to do with you, really, but they have been impactful on you. Powerful drivers, powerful drivers, and out of our conscious awareness. So we have to let it be real. We have to accept that, oh, my parents were really critical and that really affected me. I became this person who thought I couldn't do anything. 
So you're going to let that thought go and create a new story? Because now it's the story you tell yourself. What's your narrative? Uh, at least in the area of weight loss, it might be, well, I, I just can't get this right. Right? You got to change that because I can learn new skills. I can learn new ways to think. And then I can make changes accordingly. There's a lot to be gained from your work in particular. I'm drawn to that side of life because I see the mm -hmm. benefit in it. And that's why I showcase it so often. Do you see with the interplay, a lot of our, you know, in our bariatric conferences in Australia last year, they're talking about multidisciplinary teams and how we're not necessarily doing that extremely well. And how do we improve that? What do you see? Like, what's the interplay between these surgeon, dietitian, psychologist? Yeah, are we missing something? Generally speaking, here it's pathetic. There are some programs that have really amazing, true multidisciplinary teams. I haven't been part of that <laughs> in 18 years. I was going to say, and you've been around for how long? <laughs> yeah. Are we getting yeah. better? Are we looking? And is it the system well, and how slow it is to respond to what we all need? Or I think it's so disparate. Is that the right word? Hmm. Like the nutritionist sees them, and then I see them, and then the doctor sees them. But there's really very little team meetings, you know. Now, if I hmm. have an issue, I can contact. The ones that I work with now are wonderfully receptive to what I have to say. I've worked with a doctor for 15 years who thought everything related to my field was absolute hogwash. And you find everything in between, right? So I don't know that it's getting better. And even at the big meetings, right? I was so thrilled when I came to ANSMOS in Australia and you had multidisciplinary people in the same meeting. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, here, uh-uh, we got the surgeons over here. We got, you know, the um, integrated health over here. Never the together. twain shall meet. Well, yeah, that's how interesting. Are, how are we supposed to learn from one another? So we're the woke country. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. <seriously. laughs> we were modeling I, us on you, but maybe. I can't tell you how impressed I was about that. That's really great. Yeah. And I also noticed that we did a psychologist day and a dietitian's day. And I don't know if we've done that before. We've done the dietitian's day, but it's great to see that everybody's getting together from each. Yeah. They do a day together and then we do a day all together. Few days that's altogether. amazing. Mm. So oh, that's um, beautiful. And just I think people in the same industry sharing their clinical expertise with other clinicians without right. feeling like they're, you know, superior. Yeah. And sharing their trade <laughs> secrets. It's like we're right. coming together as a whole to help the bariatric community. Yes. And your knowledge is helping other practitioners. It's like, Right. I think when you work one-on-one, -on -one, we always talk about cloning ourselves, but then some people are too scared to share their information and their way of yeah, operating and the things that work for them so that other people can be their clones. But, yeah, it's nice yeah. to see that we're starting to hopefully bring that together. Right. Yeah, I think it would be great. To and there are it. some really amazing programs here, you know, that really do put effort into that. But part of it is I think so many of the programs are growing so fast you know, that it's hard for the individual entities to find time or make yeah. time to come together. And that's yeah. the problem. I do think that the private programs are better at that than the hospital-based programs mm -hmm. here. So, you know, it's like your program where you've got 
an in-house program and you have the flexibility and the option to focus on those things. Some of the hospital programs here are so mandated by insurance protocols that we don't have the liberty to really make it a unified team. Very little autonomy without risk of, Mm -hmm. you know, doing something new without Mm -hmm. perhaps trouble down the track. Yeah, there's a lot involved. And a lot here too is mandated by these are the minimum requirements to have a center of excellence. And so we will do the mandated minimum. Now, Mm -hmm. you've talked a lot about your content, your videos, your education. Is this something that is widely accessible or is it something that we would need to become connected to you in some way that we could explore your, it sounds you know, like it answers a lot of questions for people and we'd love to see if that's an option. Yes, both are options. I have a YouTube channel. Nothing is like highly polished because I'll just put it out Mm. there and post it. Great. And I have a podcast called Very Aftercare and I have a website, ConnieStapletonPhD.com where I have a lot of references and handouts and worksheets and I do have a program for a lot more which is called very aftercare, mm-hmm. which is a paid kind of thing. But I put out so much stuff for free That's because great. I want people to get this. Very passionate. Yeah. We'll put all of those links in our show okay. notes. The show notes are housed on the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast.com or AWLS.com website. Anything that you've gleaned from our conversation with Connie, you can certainly connect with her via the links in the show notes to this episode. And I'm sure it's not the first time we'll meet on eMeet. I don't know if you're going to Vegas. We're going to Vegas in the middle of the year. Actually, it's my 40th wedding anniversary (laughs) and I am going to be in Europe for two weeks. Oh, poor you. I know, it's such a bummer. Yeah, you're going to be okay. Take that. I'm trying to get myself down to the South Island of New Zealand for the Ansmoss Conference. Oh, yeah, you must. Have you been? I haven't been to the South Island. I've been to the North Island. Mm. Yes. They're quite different. That's right here. Yeah, they're quite different and equally as enchanting and beautiful i think if i could pack up and move to new zealand it'd be the first place it's just a beautiful country yeah really nice yeah Yeah. hope to see you Uh, there i love to come to your part of the world anytime it's so beautiful i love it so much it's just so far we were like once we get out of australia it's really good (laughs) getting getting anywhere is like okay so thank you Really, you're you're so passionate and compassionate and you can just feel that coming through with your message. It's really wonderful to connect. Thanks. I got to tell you, I respect and admire your scope of and knowledge of this whole thing. I mean, you you really get the whole picture too. And it's so exciting to me to hear about. Thank you. I think you're really a knowledgeable woman. I'm going to sit here for a little bit longer and just take that. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. We don't get enough of it, right? No. I was thinking my interest in it is because I've had to do a lot of my own work. And I think when you do your work on yourself, you can then, that's part of it, is then sharing what, you know, shortcutting it is my priority for other people who have to deal with those shadow parts of ourselves and grow. I think 
sometimes growing is amazing, but it's also can be ugly and painful, but let's make it short and sweet if we can. And that's kind of my, yeah, that's why we do what we do. I think we're really passionate about seeing people create incredible change in their lives and staying there and, you know, realising the best of their lives as our motto goes. So it's not just me, it's my whole team. So we're all very committed. That's beautiful. Mm. A lot of people doing a lot of good work. Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly not yeah. a one-man band, but it's how we operate. Sure. Well, thank you. I will um, also showcase on your podcast, which I will also share to our audience. So I'm excited to thank be a part you. of that as well. And I would love to have you on there. So we'll make arrangements for that. Thank you. Thanks, Connie. And uh, Connie Stapleton, wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.